Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Warren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. The Oscars were this past Sunday night. I'm sure you've all seen the mixed reviews of the event. As usual, there are lots of opinions about who did and did not win. Of course, winners, though, uh, they don't know in advance if they're going to win. They only know that they've been nominated. But they have to prepare a speech as if, uh, you know, be ready if they do win. Which makes me think, what would I say in that moment? I mean, you only have maybe two minutes to give your acceptance speech, and the world is watching. Lauren, have you thought about this, what you would actually say if you won an Oscar? Yeah, I feel like you got to give the glory to God and keep it short. <laughs> short <laughs> That's what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> would you do the, like, mom and dad, thank you, yeah. thanks mom, you. thanks dad. <laughs> All glory to God. Yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard to think about because it's like, man, you have such a short period of time. Uh, I mean, I think I would want to tell a little bit of like why my faith is so important mm-hmm. to me, kind of thing. Um, you know, but uh, I figure I got time to write the speech. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I haven't been nominated for an Oscar <laughs> yet, so. <laughs> well, and I'll also say I think every Oscar speech given this year was about two minutes too long. <laughs> fair, very fair. All right, Lauren, what do we have queued up on today's show? Up on today's Problematic Women, our colleague Rachel Del Judas recently had the opportunity to talk with former United Nations Ambassador Nikki Haley at the annual leadership conference. They cover everything from the upcoming Beijing Olympics to why IDs are so important to secure elections. Also on today's show, Rachel joins us to discuss her trip to the U.S.-Mexico border. She tells us what she saw and shares stories from the people she spoke with. And as always... We'll be crowning our Problematic Women of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. Up first is Rachel's conversation with Nikki Haley. We are joined on The Daily Signal by Nikki Haley, former U.S. ambassador to the U.N. and founder of Stand for America Now. Ambassador Haley, it's great to have you with us on The Daily Signal. Thanks so much for having me. Well, to start off, I wanted to just get your thoughts on how conservatives can accomplish things during the next two years before the midterms with the majorities of the Democrats in the House and Senate and White House. Well, I think, first of all, take that frustration that you're feeling and remind your family and friends that elections have consequences. And we're feeling the burn right now, but we need to take that energy. We need to put it as a force for good. I don't think Republicans need to be the party of sound bites. We need to be the party of solutions. Let's go back to what we know. Let's go back to the basics. The Democrats have gone so far to the left. But we need to keep the focus on a strong foreign policy so that we're strong overseas and safe at home. We need to make sure that we really focus on education and where our kids go from here in terms of skilled jobs, but also in recovering from the COVID era. And then I think we need to look at our debt. You know, the financial stability that we need to have is so important. And the idea that we now have more debt than our economy, it's the first time since World War II, it's a national security threat. China and Russia are jumping up and down looking at how weak the dollar is because they'd love to replace it as the world reserve. 
We have talked a lot on Twitter about how uh, people want to label you a victim, but you do not consider yourself a victim. Can you talk about that and just the idea of victimhood that the left talks about? Well, I think, first of all, the Dems, every excuse they have for anything is that the other side is racist. We are not a racist country. I have said that um, for a long time, and I know it to be true. If this were a racist country, I never would have been governor. I never would have become ambassador. But even if you look at the voter ID bill, you know, as much as Georgia has become this issue and they claim it's racist, as governor of South Carolina, I passed voter ID in 2011. They said that I was keeping people from voting. They said that it was holding people back. And so I said, fine, if you think that what I'm doing is that terrible, Anyone that needs a ride to the DMV to get photo ID, I will make sure we pick them up. I will take them to the DMV, get a free photo ID, and we will return them home. Out of 5 million people in South Carolina, 25 people asked for a ride. Voters, the number of voters we have went up. Don't assume that minorities can't do for themselves. We are perfectly capable of getting a photo ID. We are perfectly capable of picking the school of our choice. We are perfectly capable of understanding how to make the most of our opportunities if they are put in front of us. And I think Democrats have very much been the ones they call us racist, but they're actually the ones having the racist behavior. And I think we need to fight back on that. Well, speaking of the issues of race, how would you say conservatives can engage on racial tensions and really make a difference there? I think the first thing you have to do is listen. I mean, anytime you have people who feel pain, it's important to hear that pain. It's important to understand what they're thinking and talk to them about it. Because when you first have a conversation, if you first talk about the things you have in common, Everybody lets their guard down, and then you can get to a solution. You know, in South Carolina, we had the shooting of Walter Scott, and he was an unarmed black man that was shot seven times in the back. It played all over national media for the world to see. The first thing I did was reach out to the Scott family, and then I reached out to law enforcement. South Carolina was the first state in the country to pass a body camera bill. And when we did it, we had the Scott family on one side, and we said, never again will a dirty cop get away with shooting someone for no reason. And we had law enforcement, and we said never again will a good cop be blamed for something he didn't do. You have to find the good in both sides, and you have to take them to the next level. And I think there's a way to do that without shouting each other down. Well, earlier on you mentioned Communist China, and the Olympics are going to be held there. Do you have any perspective on that and how the U.S. can be engaging despite the Biden administration and the policies it looks like they're going to be uh, enforcing there? I mean, I first of all think we should absolutely boycott the Chinese Olympics. The last time that Beijing hosted the Olympics, it was their coming out party. It was their way of saying, look at us, we are a rising star. This time when China comes out with their Olympics, it's to say we are the new superpower of the world. They are abusing a million Muslim Uyghurs, making them change their name, change their religion, change the way they think, forcing them to drink, forcing them to do things against their religion. They're forcing them into slave labor, physical and sexual abuse. We promised years ago never again would we turn our eyes away from genocide. There's true genocide happening in China. The idea that we would go forward with the Olympics is a mistake, but we should be getting other countries to go along with us. Australia has spoken out. Canada has spoken out. We should get Japan on board and India on board to go and say, we're not going to let you get away with this. They just gave a virus to the world that killed millions of people. The idea that 
that we would even entertain the idea of a Chinese Olympics is ludicrous. On Twitter, you've also talked about how Democrats want the federal government to control America's elections. And how would you say, are they doing this with the For the People Act and what are the dangers you see there? I think they're doing it any way that they can. I think they're threatening to take the filibuster, but I think the idea that it's, first of all, not a For the People Act. It's another Democrat farce where they go and try and make you think something that it's not. It's a way of federalizing the elections. It's taking away from the people and putting it in the hands of Washington. It's the last thing that we want. It's the last thing that I think Republicans or Democrats want. I think we have to fight back on that front. Well, something else Democrats are talking about is adding more justices to the Supreme Court. What are your thoughts here? I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg said the second you add more justices to the court, you're politicizing the court. So from her own words, I think that that's you know, one thing that we have to look at. I think you look at Biden's own words. He called it a boneheaded idea. I think it's still a boneheaded idea. The last thing we want to do is politicize the court. The Democrats are just mad that we got more conservatives on there than we did liberals. And so they think that they can cheat their way through it. I think we have to push back and show them that we're not going to do that. Well, you had a really great graphic up on Twitter. I know we were talking about voter ID a little bit ago, but you had highlighted that you need a ID to uh, purchase a car and to uh, adopt a pet and just all these various other things that people do every day. Can you talk a little bit about the pushback we're seeing to provide an ID and your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's so much of our life is dependent on a photo ID, whether you're getting financial aid, whether you're buying Sudafed, whether you get on a plane, whether you're getting a driver's license. I mean, the access that we give in terms of photo ID is not something that's hard. And again, it goes back to the fact, don't act like minorities can't get photo IDs. They are perfectly capable of getting photo IDs. We do this every day, and I think that's something that's important. And especially if you told minorities that this is what you need to do to protect the integrity of the elections, they want their vote to count just as much as anybody else wants their vote to count. I think that the narrative is that they're making it racist, so people believe it must be racist. But I think when you go and say, are you not able to get a photo ID, most of them will tell you they have a photo ID. And if they don't have it, they have no problem going to get it. Well, another topic that everyone's talking about in the news right now is the situation at the border. Uh, Vice President Kamala Harris has been in charge of that. She hasn't been there yet to visit. And as someone who was a governor of a state, and I'm sure you probably had to deal with issues of illegal immigration, too, even though South Carolina isn't a border state, what's your thoughts on what's happening? Well, we did. We had to deal with the Syrian refugees at the time that Obama was trying to send in to our states, and we said that we weren't going to allow any in South Carolina. You know, as the daughter of immigrants who reminded my brothers, my sister, and me every Every day how blessed we were in this country. They are offended by anyone who comes here illegally. Immigrants who put in the time, put in the price, and did it the right way want to know that others are going to do the same thing. And my parents always said, if you don't follow the laws to come into this country, you're not going to follow the laws when you stay in this country. So what we're looking at is a crisis that is putting children in danger, putting families in danger. And what President Trump did that that really worked was tough love. I was on the ground in Honduras. I was on the ground in Guatemala. And the one thing that we know from that is the fact that when these people are coming across, we can go to those governments and say, help us help you. If they want asylum, they have to file from there. They can't file from here. And it worked. I mean, what's amazing to me is that here you have Trump, who had a border crisis, went and fixed it. And then Biden turned around and broke it again. And God help us if Kamala ever becomes president, because if this is how she handles a crisis, we're in real trouble. 
Well, President Biden's new U.N. ambassador, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, she's kind of basically been apologizing for America and some of the different statements she's made publicly. And as someone who was previously the ambassador to the U.N., what is your perspective on what she's saying? And I guess, how do you feel about it since you, you, know, you got to speak on behalf of this great country? It well? hurts my soul. I mean, I've never spoken out against a successor, whether it's governor or ambassador, and the idea that she would go and basically condemn America as a racist country. I mean, that the rest of the world is going to look at that and say, what is going on? I mean, when I was UN ambassador, people would take me to the side and say how unbelievable America was. They couldn't believe the freedom of speech and freedom of religion and freedom to be and do anything you want to do without government getting in the way. The idea that she is even implying that we're a racist country when all those countries want to be us is an embarrassment, and it's, it's shameful for America. Well, Ambassador Haley, thank you for joining us on The Daily Signal. It's been great having you with us. Thanks so much. Loved getting to hear Rachel's conversation with Nikki Haley. And speaking of Rachel, she's actually going to be joining me in just a moment here to talk about her recent trip to the southern border and explain what's actually going on down there. But before we get to that conversation, I want to tell you about another great podcast that I actually co-host with none other than Rachel Del Judas. Rachel and I co-host the Daily Signal podcast together every weekday. We take five to ten minutes at the top of the show to tell you the news you need to know to start your day, and then we dive into an interview with a lawmaker, an author, or maybe a conservative activist. The Daily Signal podcast is a great way to keep up with the news every single day and to learn more about the big issues going on in our world. You can find the Daily Signal podcast wherever you listen, so go ahead and subscribe to the Daily Signal podcast so you can be up on all of the news you care about. I am so excited to be joined by Rachel Del Judas, the congressional reporter for The Daily Signal and my fellow co-host of The Daily Signal podcast. Rachel, welcome back to Problematic Women. Virginia, thanks so much for having me. It's always such a fun time. I'm so excited to talk about your recent trip to the southern border. Last week, you traveled down to the U.S.-Mexico border to find out what is actually going on down there. We're hearing some pretty conflicting reports in the news from uh, different outlets, from policymakers. So, Rachel, you were there. You were on the ground. Tell us what you saw. What struck you as interesting or uh, wild? Yeah. What what's actually happening? Yeah, so thanks so much for having me. I think what was really instructive to me, and um, I just I like just to note. So this is the second time I've been to the border this year, and I think the fourth time total. And what really stood out to me. So we took the time. Uh, we took a day to meet with uh, people who work on the Border Patrol Council, so Border Patrol officers who are on the Border Patrol Council. So we met with the president and vice president. We met with a local sheriff. And we met with a local rancher. And something that really uh, stood out to me one day, we were doing a drive around. Uh, of the border of a section of wall in Cochise County that's been mostly completed, but there are areas that should have been completed that um, aren't because of Biden's executive order that he signed on Inauguration Day on January 20th. And uh, one of the sheriff's deputies was driving around or looking at all of this stuff. And he was saying, you know, imagine being, you know, someone who has a home and you have 300 people, you know, cross onto your yard every month. And that really stood out to me as something that, you know, a number that all of us, you know, may not be aware of, but that's about what some ranchers on the border typically see every month is 300 people crossing over 
you know, littering, cutting uh, water lines, uh, cutting, you know, their fencing for their cattle. And when you think about that, you know, it's kind of striking, like, wow, that would be super frightening and just weird and, you know, just very bizarre to have 300 individuals on your property. And that's what a lot of ranchers see um, on the day-to-day there. So that was something that really stood out to me. Uh, We were, for the most part, in the Cochise County area in Arizona. So we weren't in a place like McAllen, Texas, that is seeing just like the deluge of uh, families coming over. But where we were at was where a lot of the younger males, so around, you know, anywhere from probably like 15, 18 to, you know, late 30s, 40s crossing over. And a lot of them are carrying drugs. Uh, One night we were doing a ride along with one of the ranchers and we saw a border patrol officer in his truck and then he sped off after someone all by himself. So he was starting to chase someone that had crossed over um, all by himself. And that happens a lot right now on the border because the border patrol uh, is spread so thin because there's so much there's so much happening. I mean, in February, there were more than 100,000 people that tried to cross the border. And for February, again, um, that's the highest number of people that have tried to cross since 2006. So this is pretty unprecedented uh, for these times. And you could just see the frustration on the faces of law enforcement and also to the, you know, the ranchers and um, the Border Patrol Council people we talked to. I know that you know, for the law enforcement, this is their job. And I know that they, you know, their highest goal is to protect and serve the people that they uh, represent. But I also know that because they're spread so thin, it it is, they're in a place of frustration right now, for sure. That's so interesting, Rachel, because I think uh, one of the narratives that we're hearing from a little bit more uh, left-wing media is, you know, there's natural ebbs and flows at the border. And, you know, we see spikes all the time. And yes, we're seeing a spike right now, but spikes are normal. But you're saying, actually, this is different. Yeah, I mean, they had said, like, obviously, when so in Arizona, it gets very, very hot in the summer, as we all know. So when it's spring, I mean, there is going to be a little bit higher number of crossings, just because it's a more comfortable time to come over the border, but they were saying, and the president of the Border Patrol Council, Brandon Judd, said this surge is bigger than anything we've seen before, Uh, and he said President Biden has been in office for less than three months, and we've never seen an explosion in illegal immigration like we're currently experiencing, and he said this is being driven by United States public policy because of the Biden (laughs) immigration policy that's basically, you know, an open-door policy right now, so yeah, don't let the media necessarily fool you on that. I mean, it's, you know, they all said, yes, there will be a a little bit of an increase in the spring months just because Arizona does get so unbearably hot in the summer. And so you will see some more numbers coming over. But the president of the Border Patrol Council, who has been in the Border Patrol for over 22 years, so he knows his stuff. He's been in for Republican presidents and Democrat presidents. And he said that this is uh, the biggest surge that they've ever seen. And Mm. it's being driven by the public policy of the United States. Mm. Wow. Now, I know we're obviously hearing a lot about, you know, the different facilities that they have, um, you know, at different border crossings. Did you see uh, any of those facilities or sort of, you know, encampments where people are, are waiting or being held? 
So because we were on in Cochise County, we were not in like one of those areas in Texas, for example, that has a lot of holding facilities. And the sheriff of Cochise County, Sheriff Mark Daniels, was telling us that that is something that's a little bit different to their situation. So because they don't necessarily have those holding facilities, I mean, there's really only the sheriff's office in that area. Um, They're not seeing the families, but they are seeing the young males coming over. Something I will tell you, though, which was really interesting, is during our ride along with one of the sheriff's deputies um, in Cochise County, there was this little shanty that was built so right across the border into Mexico that we could see. And he said that went up maybe the day before we got there. He said that wasn't there before and that is up now so that crossers can kind of huddle inside there before they actually come across the border. So it's kind of like a shelter from the sun slash um, stakeout area where they're kind of watching and looking and staying out of the sun. And then when they see an all clear, they'll, you know, scale the fence and climb over, um, and then be, you know, in the United States. And he said, this is brand new. He said, this wasn't up like a day ago. So, uh, we got to see that and get footage of it. And it's just this handmade little like shanty shack type thing. That's kind of like, you know, constructed against like this brush in the desert, and, um, yeah, you'll get to see that in the documentary that's coming out. Uh, we'll be sure it'll be up on the daily signal. So stay tuned for that. But that was something, uh, that was brand new. We also saw as we were driving along, um, in some areas of higher traffic, uh, on the border wall, they put this Constantino wire up that's, you know, meant to be more of a deterrent for people coming over. And in so many places, um, they, cut that wire so this wires up and then it comes down similar to as i mentioned on border ranches where there's wire for fencing for cattle and a lot of that just gets snipped up and something the rancher told us that i hadn't known before because this is never reported on mainstream media is that uh, on the border for border ranches it's 30 to 40 percent more expensive to have a ranch on the border because of all the repairs and time costs that goes into repairing broken water lines repairing broken fences a lot of times and this is something again i had never heard too so just giving it to you um, straight from the horse's mouth so to speak uh, border ranchers said a lot of times uh, when immigrants cross they'll leave trash on the you know property of the ranch and a lot of times the cows of course will eat the trash because it's in their pasture and then they'll die because it you know was something that was poisonous or they weren't supposed to eat i mean and then you know these ranchers are out these cows that die because i mean this is their livelihood and so imagine you know a main source of livelihood like a whole cow dying like that you know puts a serious dent in revenue that you were expecting uh to be able to have so just really eye-opening things that you would never hear on mainstream media you know, being told from the people who live there and this is their daily life. Um, and it's just, it's just super eye opening. Yeah, that is so eye opening. And you're right. Yeah. Those are things that we don't hear talked about in the mainstream media at all. Um, but that's obviously a, a huge deal to those, those ranchers that are, are living this. And, um, wow, that's really, really fascinating. What I, you mentioned the documentary. I want to talk about that in just a moment. Um, but what what do you think, as you were speaking with these Border Patrol agents, what do you think is really the message that they wish the American people could hear right now? I think they want the American people to basically hear what is happening on the border and for it not to be 
uh, something that's so filtered. I mean, as we had talked about before, so many people think that, you know, this is something that's seasonal and normal and, oh, there's always an uptick in the spring, which there's always a little bit of an increase. But the Border Patrol Council and the president of the Border Patrol Council, who's been, you know, working on the border as a Border Patrol agent for over 22 years. So this is being driven by U.S. policy. So I think that's something that's really instructive for the American people to know and just something that's really important that it's the president and the Biden administration that is instigating this. Uh, Something else the Border Patrol Council said that I think it's important to share is that they really feel like their hands are tied because they are spread so thin right now because there's so many crossings, there's so much happening. And they said, you know, our hands are tied. A lot of Border Patrol agents, they're working right now in processing because there's such a big influx. I mean, the highest number, so in February, it was the highest number since 2006. So they're just completely overwhelmed right now. And instead of enforcing the law and being at the border, they're in some processing center filling out paperwork, which again, like, you know, that is the job of some in the Border Patrol, but that's not the main role is, you know, working in processing center or providing child care, which he said is what is happening uh, right now. So I think that's also something that uh, the American people should know. And uh, something the sheriff told us is that this is something that goes far beyond just border counties. And other people have said this before, and he essentially said this, is that because of what's happening right now at the border and the huge influxes, every town in America is becoming a border town because these people are coming into uh, your your home. I mean, basically your towns, they're, you know, bringing drugs across the border into communities. People are being affected by that. I mean, the rise in drug crimes and drug deaths is something that is continuing to rise. And you mentioned Nikki Haley at the beginning of the interview and something that she had said, um, Recently, her parents were immigrants, and her mom brought up this point, and it's something that I found to be especially uh, just eye-opening after this trip, was that her mom said, you know, if someone comes into the country illegally, what makes you think that they're going to live in this country legally? Mm -hmm. All her point was that, you know, obviously there are so many people that are law-abiding, and I'm sure there are immigrants that are law-abiding. I'm sure there are. However, she was just making the point that if someone comes into this country illegally, there's going to be so much more of an incentive to continue to do illegal things because that was the path they chose to take. And, you know, for that reason, it puts, um, you know, a more of a risk on the rest of the population. So, um, the sheriff of Cochise County, uh, Mark Daniels, he said that, you know, there's going to be sad tales coming from this and people will be hurt. And, um, the border patrol agents at the border right now, like they're the first line of defense, but it's going to continue to be something that America sees. And there's going to be, you know, more sad stories from this just because of the nature um, of the illegal aspect of it. That's part of the situation right now. Mm, Wow. Rachel, thank you so much for breaking all that down for us. You mentioned earlier a documentary. Uh, So explain a little bit about this project. And I know that was the reason you were traveling down to the border was to get footage for this documentary. But tell us a little bit um, about the the purpose and the mission of the film and what this is going to look like. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much, Regina. So 
first off, as we were talking before uh, the show, uh, I was you know mentioning to you that we had thought, oh, this will probably just be one documentary where you know we talk to law enforcement, we talk to border patrol uh, union agents, and we talk to ranchers and just kind of you know get a little bit of their feel of what's happening, and then you know we'll it'll just be you know a one one video project. Well. <laughs> We went down there and we talked to um, the president and vice president of the Border Patrol Council. We talked to uh, Sheriff Mark Daniels, who is the sheriff of Cochise County. We talked to uh, John Ladd, who has had a family ranch for over 120 years. So just amazing people. And each story, each conversation was so uh, just strong and so instructive that as we were wrapping up the trip and as I was thinking through all this, I was like, there's just no way we can fit all this into one one video product. We need to have a little bit more here. So I think it's going to be broken down into about four different uh, video products. I think the first one will just be a trailer. So it'll just be kind of a teaser coming out, looking at exactly who we're talking to. Uh, it will include, as I mentioned, Sheriff Mark Danos, who's the sheriff of Cochise County, John Ladd, who's had his ranch and his family for 120 years, and then uh, the president and vice president of the Border Patrol Council, Brandon Judd and Artel Cueto. And they're all going to be basically responding to what's been happening since January 20th on Inauguration Day. So it's going to be a quick, about a minute uh, trailer that will be coming out. Hopefully that will be coming out very soon. So please look for that on the Daily Signal. And then the following three videos... I will be kind of going more in depth. Um, one of them will, will be about Artel Cueto. He has a really impactful story. His parents actually came to the United States from Mexico legally, and he basically just responded to what he's seeing now working in the Border Patrol and speaking on behalf of the Border Patrol Council and his thoughts on what's happening, um, given that his family came over legally and now he is basically tasked with working with those who come over illegally and the impact that he sees in this country as well as for future generations. Um, so that will be something that you want to keep your eyes open for. One of the next video products we're going to be doing is looking at what the border sheriff uh, is seeing every day as a result of this immigration crisis. Sheriff Mark Daniels had a lot of instructive things to say, but you could also see there's just palpable frustration um, on his face and just in the work that he has to do because there's so much happening and they're spread so thin. And then uh, we're also going to be doing a video on John Ladd, who is the border rancher. I mentioned he has had a ranch in his family for over 120 years. And he talked a lot about what it is like having a border ranch. I had to ask him, I was like, John, do you ever think of leaving? And he said, you know, no, this is, this ranch is, you know, who we are, you know, it's part of our family legacy, but it is so much more expensive to uh, have a ranch on the border. He also mentioned that they really can never leave their ranch, like they can't all be away from the ranch at one point in time because there's always something that happens. And he said, we always have to have someone on the ranch. And he said, it's been so long since we've all just been able to leave and, you know, go out or, you know, go on a vacation, just have everyone gone because they need someone there at some point in time, uh, just given the nature of things that happen on the ranch. He's found, um, sadly dead people on his property. Mm -hmm. There's been vehicles that have been stolen. I mentioned, you know, the water lines that have been cut, the different pastures that have been cut because of the crossers. So he has to deal with a lot, but you can tell despite all of that, he, he loves his property. He loves his family. It just makes it so much more sobering and frustrating for him 
uh, to have to work with this, you know, illegal aspect of what's happening right now at the border and trying to still make a livelihood from that. So that's the different videos we're looking at. Um, and I would just say, yeah, please stay tuned on the daily signal. The trailer will be coming out soon for the series. So, um, stay tuned. We're really excited to share it with you. Yeah. Oh, we're so excited to see it, Rachel. All of them, all the videos that y'all are coming out that uh, just sounds so, uh, so educational, fascinating, um, and just really insightful to get to hear from the people that are are living this. They are dealing with this on a day in and day out basis. So if you are not uh, subscribed to the Daily Signal YouTube channel, please subscribe so you don't miss out on any of this content that will be coming out. Uh, in the coming weeks and months. But Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really appreciate having you. Virginia, it's always so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. If you're tired of high taxes, fewer healthcare choices, and bigger and bigger government, it's time to partner with the most impactful conservative organization in America. We're the Heritage Foundation, and we're committed to solving the issues America faces. Together, we'll fight back against the rising tide of homegrown socialism, and we'll fight for conservative solutions that are making families more free and more prosperous. But we can't do it without you. Please join us at heritage.org. Now it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to... Four very problematic women, track athletes Selena Soul, Chelsea Mitchell, Alana Smith, and Ashley Nicoletti. You all might recognize these names. These are the names of the four high school track athletes who filed a lawsuit against the Connecticut Association of Schools for allowing biological males to compete against them in their track events. We've been following this lawsuit pretty closely on the show, and this week there was an important update. Quick refresher on the case. Female athletes Selena Soule, Chelsea Mitchell, Alana Smith, and Ashley Nicoletti sued the Connecticut Association of Schools for allowing biological males to compete with them in track events, costing them opportunities to compete in advanced competitions and win track events. The case was first filed back in 2020, but the Daily Signal has been following the story long before the lawsuit was filed and even created a documentary telling Selena's story, which we'll link down in the show notes. Just earlier this week, a federal judge dismissed the lawsuit. The judge declared the case moot because both the transgender athletes have graduated. The judge says there appears to be no threat of biological males competing against Smith and Nicoletti, who are still in high school and running track. The judge did say the case will be expedited if another biological male athlete competes against the girls in the future. In a statement released by Alliance Defending Freedom, which is the legal group that represents the female track athletes, Alana Smith said, Today's decision is disheartening for athletes like me who train hard every day to be our physical and mental best at the starting block. These girls were fighting not just for their own opportunities. They were fighting for female athletes for years to come, for their right to compete and win on an equal playing field. Selena Soul, Chelsea Mitchell, Alana Smith, and Ashley Nicoletti, thank you for being willing to stand up for women and girls' rights for fair athletic competition. And congratulations on being our Problematic Women of the Week. You deserve it.
Yes, definitely. They deserve it. Such an important fight. And it's so unfortunate that it was thrown out because these girls were already harmed. Yeah. No. And it's a case that, uh, you know, I think, <laughs> sadly, we haven't seen the end of this issue. This is going to mm-hmm. this is going to come back up. Uh, so we will certainly continue to follow um, this topic as as different things develop. Um, but, yeah, kind of kind of wild to see how this unfolded. Well, it's not the end of this issue. It is the end of this podcast. How's that for a hey, chance? Hey, there we go. <laughs> and with that, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives greatly need your support in the podcast world. And we would appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great rest of your week. Enjoy your weekend. We'll be back here next Thursday. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.